The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Acts chapter 8. If you have a Bible and would turn there, Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse number 26. Acts chapter 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. You know where he was reading in your Bible? Isaiah 53. So the the eunuch or the official government official, answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? The answer? Some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. That chapter in Isaiah 53 is all about Christ. It's a prediction of the life and ministry and sacrifice, the substitution of Christ for sinners. 700 years before he came. And the Bible tells us there that he gave his life as a ransom for the sins of many and he was killed and then he would rise again and be glorified. And Peter, or sorry, Philip preached all of this about Jesus to the official. And it says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said to him, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And the answer that Philip gives is nothing. Verse 37, some of your translations have a 37. Uh, I'll read it for you that have it. Uh, There's some question in the text, but we won't get into that now. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, whether that was said or not, it was believed by the man who was the Ethiopian. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And that's it for our reading. And he baptized him. So, here's water. What hinders you four that have asked me to be baptized from being baptized today? Nothing, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he's given himself for you. A very interesting portion of Scripture. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. I was going to preach in 1 Corinthians 9, and then I said, no, I'm not. 
Maybe, maybe. Um, today I want to tell you briefly everything you need to know about baptism because that's why we're here. I want to, I don't know that I've even put this in my notes because it's kind of so basic in my thinking, but it needs to be basic in your thinking about what baptism is. Baptism, the word, means to immerse. Okay? It comes from a Greek word which is baptizo, and it came to us in English because they didn't want to translate it as immerse, they wanted to just leave it generic so that people could kind of define it the way they want to define it. You know how people do different kinds of baptism, right? It's pouring and sprinkling and three times immersion and one time immersion and face forward immersion and all these different modes of baptism. The key thing to understand is the word itself means to immerse. If you baptize something, you dip it in and bring it back out again. Metaphorically, that's the literal meaning of what the verb means. Metaphorically, it has come to mean in Christian theology identification. Identification. John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance in response to the remission of sins or as a result of the remission of sins. And that baptism was to identify the person with John's message of repentance. When they went into the water to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River or wherever it was, they were saying, I have turned away from my sin. I'm getting ready for the coming of the Messiah and I'm being immersed into this water in order to identify with Christ. So immersion and identification, the literal and the metaphorical meaning that arises out of that. We have to have that in our minds. Now, there are two kinds of baptism besides John's baptism in the Bible. And most people don't know this. Our people here in the church, I think, do, but maybe you don't. The two kinds of baptism are spirit baptism and water baptism. And spirit baptism, in fact, spirit baptism is the more important of the two even though you haven't maybe even thought about it or heard about it. But the Bible does say this in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water, John said, unto repentance or for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to bear or to carry. Here's what John says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, that same thing is said in all the Gospels and said in uh, the book of Acts as well, very importantly, that that was the issue of Jesus' ministry. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's this baptism of the Spirit that puts the believer, identifies him, we say puts him into the church, but identifies him with the church and puts him into union with Christ. Uh, let me just read a single verse for you. You don't have to turn to all these verses. We have to hasten along this morning because of the time. But in Galatians 3.27, it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so we understand that to be a spiritual event, not merely a ritual or outward event or physical event in which Christ uses the Holy Spirit to effect the unification of a new believer into Christ and into the body of Christ. That baptism that we're talking about with spirit baptism is not wet. You don't feel it. And it's done by the Holy Spirit at the moment that you are saved. Every single believer has that happen to them when they are saved. 
So then, what is water baptism? Well, it follows spirit baptism at a later point in time and is a symbolic ritual that pictures salvation. It was taught by Jesus in Matthew 28. Remember, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations and then do what to them? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, what Jesus is saying is, Christians, disciples, you're to go and share with people the love of God, share with them how they can have their sins forgiven, tell them that on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, they can be washed clean of sin spiritually, and then be baptized as a picture of their association with Jesus Christ. Nothing happens to the person when they get baptized except they get wet. And what they're doing is they're saying by words, all of our uh, candidates for baptism will give a word today, a short testimony, either read it or I'll help them through their little testimony. Um, But they'll be saying, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ by doing this ritual. And then in doing that ritual, they are saying to the whole church, everybody that's here in the public, they're saying, I'm with Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's what I've decided to do with my life. And that's what actually God had decided for them before and wants them to do. So, uh, in this baptism, you get wet, you feel it, and you're assisted by a pastor. But it's not done by the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't impart some kind of special grace to a person whereby now they are saved. We'll mention that again in a moment. You, You... we have to understand, however, what it means, what that water baptism, what it means and all of its kind of facets. And I want to go through those briefly this morning with you. We're going to do that by just asking the normal questions. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. That's it. Just keep it real simple. Who is baptized? Only those who are Christians. Those are the only ones that are supposed to be baptized. Those who are born again, those who are saved, those who are Christians... What does it mean when I say saved or born again? That may be, you know, seem, if you stop and think about it, it's kind of weird terminology, I suppose, especially if you're not familiar with it in Christian theology. But first of all, to be saved means that you were lost. You were lost. Though not stated in detail with the Ethiopian, remember, that we read about, he understood that he was separated from God and needed something to be made right with God. He went up to worship God in Jerusalem, but he knew something wasn't quite done yet. It was, there was something missing. And he's reading his Bible on the way back. That's how dedicated he was, by the way. Have you read your Bible lately? Here's a guy, a high government official, humbling himself to read his Bible in his chariot on the way back to his home. I mean, he's got a long journey, so he might as well break out a book and read. And the Bible's there's no better book than that to read. And he wanted to understand what is this Isaiah 53 talking about? Who is this person that he's talking about? And so God sent him some help to help him to understand. He knew that he needed to turn away from his sinful life to please God. He had to exercise what the Bible calls repentance toward God. Secondly, being saved means that you not only were lost, but you're also rescued, delivered from that lost state. God does the rescuing. We as believers assist 
we could say. We're fellow laborers, co-laborers with him. We help to propagate the message to help people to be rescued. He does this rescue by grace through the the channel of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now I've just told you the whole gospel in a very small snippet of time. It's repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what these candidates are saying. They have exercised. They have understood. It's, it's, it's entrusting our souls to Jesus Christ. I've said something about faith, and I kind of just glossed over it. But why faith? God commands us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, that's why faith. But secondly, if you think about it, if you're to have a relationship with the Holy God, you have to have trust in Him to have that relationship. Do you have, you have a, a, a good, solid relationship with people you don't trust? No, you trust your spouse, I hope. You trust your children, trust their parents. And all of that. That's what faith is. It's the entry point into a relationship with God. That's what Christian salvation is. Christian salvation is not um, a religion like so many of the world's religions. It is God coming down to man and allowing us to enter into a relationship with Him. So we're believing in Jesus. Why Jesus? Because He stood in your place as a substitute, dying for your sins, taking the penalty on Himself that your sins deserved. That's what the cross behind us pictures. Okay, The cross was a literal instrument of death. Today it has become a metaphor to us of life because through His death we can live. We can have eternal life. He died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. This is our Jesus whom we preach, the Christian God, and He is able to save you from sin and from death. And He invites you to be saved. He invites you to be born again. He invites you to have new life. And not only does He invite you, He urges you. And not only does He urge you, He commands you. You have a moral obligation to believe in your Creator, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and to be rightly related to Him. That's a moral obligation that you have. I mean, you feel, you know, you think your moral obligations include things like, I shouldn't rob a bank. Yeah, that's true. I shouldn't steal. I shouldn't commit adultery. I shouldn't. You, your conscience knows those things. But just as much as it knows those, it needs to know this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship any other God. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Your relationship with God is a moral ought. And if you're not doing that, then you're breaking the law of God. And your conscience should bother you about that. He commands us to be saved. But, he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Actually, that uh, if you have your notes there, there's a little typo. It says Acts 16. Uh, I think, I think I meant 17. But anyway, both verses 16 and 17 are very relevant to this very topic. So we'll get that fixed up in the next revision of those notes. So once you come to faith in Jesus, you recognize that you need to repent toward God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved. Then the question, like the Ethiopian said, is what hinders me from being baptized? Nothing. Nothing. 
I'm a follower of Jesus now. I can be baptized. Now, I don't want to give you false assurance. We don't give that here. If you think you're a Christian because you recited a prayer or walked an aisle or did some other outward act, don't be deceived. It's whether you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and love Him with all your heart and follow Him that's the evidence of, of true salvation. If you, if you love your sin, like we talked about this morning, think you have a license to sin, then you have fallen woefully short of true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just uh, scanning through my notes here to see what I think I'm going to leave uh, some of these for you to read as homework on page 3 there. Uh, some, now, notice, I'll, I'll mention this, baptism is only for saved people. So therefore, baptism cannot save you. So the people who are baptized this morning are already born again. We've asked them to share their testimony and give us you know, evidence that that's true. And we believe that it is to the best of our knowledge. God knows, of course, all things. But it's, the fact is that they're saved already. Going into these waters does not wash their sin away. It does not cause them to become saved. If we were not to make it to the end of this service tonight by reason of, or this morning by reason of some terrible calamity, those people who are not baptized but truly believe in Christ would be on their way immediately to heaven without any questions. Okay? Baptism is not required to be saved, but baptism is commanded for those who are in as much as they can. Now, some people have asked about young, youngsters. What about young people? Um, we don't baptize automatically when somebody becomes, say, 12 years old. We don't have a confirmation or process like that. Because baptism is only for true believers, they must come to faith on their own and a conviction that they must be baptized. So I don't push people to be baptized because I don't want to baptize them falsely or push them ahead of their own desire to follow the Lord. If they don't want to believe in Christ, if they don't want to be baptized, that's up to them. That's not on me. But I tell them, God commands you to be baptized. You ought to be baptized. But as I was saying to a brother yesterday, I'm kind of non-interventionist in that way. Maybe I should be more interventionist to encourage people. But here's the reason why I stand off a little bit. I want to know, do you really believe? Do you really want to be baptized yourself? Or is it just you're bowing to peer pressure or the pastor says that I should do that or whatever? No, it needs to come from your own heart. You have to, look, I'm not going to be here forever. None of us are going to be here forever. But you may move away, you young person, you grow up, you go to college. You have to decide for yourself, are you going to follow Christ? You can't follow on my coattails or on your parents or anybody else's. You've got to decide for yourself. You've got to stand on your own two spiritual legs and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want for our people. They make that decision for themselves. Is there a minimum age? I don't have a minimum age. There's nothing taught in the Bible about that. But there is a minimum condition. A young person should be able to express, at least in some basic way, that they have turned from their sin and believed in Jesus Christ and that they want to be baptized. Uh, so we don't just baptize a youngster when they're five years old because they said they made some profession of faith. We give them a little time and let them demonstrate the reality of that faith. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But for an adult believer who's come to faith in Christ and understands the gospel and understands the claims of God, there's no reason for them 
that they should hold off being baptized for years and years uh, of their life. So why do we? So who 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 is to be baptized? Believers. Why? Because of the command of Christ, uh, and also because we want to make a public testimony of our saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that is why we follow a command. We don't follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was baptized by John the Baptist, identifying himself with the message of John. But did Jesus need to repent of sin? He didn't have any sin. Did he need to be born again or picture that he was born again? No, he wasn't. So that baptism is totally different than ours. Now, how do we do baptism? Well, by immersion in the name of the triune God. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We talked about immersion and identification. Okay, We do that in the name of the Christian God, not any other God, the Christian triune God. Where do we do this? Usually in a local church like this. Sometimes people are baptized in association with a church, but say at a river or in a lake or, or whatever. But it's attached to a church and should be, I believe, because churches are where believers go out to share the gospel. It's where believers gather to worship. It's where we receive instruction. It's where we serve the Lord. The church is the center of God's program today in the world. So usually in a local church. When? Soon after salvation. We've mentioned that already. Now, what exactly is baptism? This will be our final, I think our final section here. Yeah. What exactly is baptism? Well, it's a symbol that reminds us of the past, the present, and the future. How does it remind us of the past? It reminds us of the death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, of course, His burial as well. So, when a believer goes into the water, they're saying, I am am telling you folks, I have died with Christ. When they go under the water, they're saying, I am buried with Him. When they come up out of the water, they're representing the glorious new resurrection life that they have in Jesus and that they are living that life now. Okay, So, death, burial, and resurrection. That's what happened to Christ and that is what we do when we immerse somebody in water. We identify them with those truths. You get it? That's what baptism is all about. Presently, It's a symbol of the believer's union with Christ. So it reminds us of what Christ did and it's a symbol presently of our union with Jesus Christ or our identification with Him. Baptism candidate is proclaiming his ID with Christ, his connection, and that he has died to sin, been buried and risen to a new life. So this is why we say baptism is a public testimony of something that has already occurred in our lives. I have died to sin, I'm saying, when I get baptized. I've been buried with Christ and I'm raised to new life now. Baptism is also a symbol of the future. How? It's a prophecy of our future resurrection. We come out of that water of baptism picturing our new life in Christ And that also pictures the fact that we will be raised to life from the dead. Every person will be raised to life from the dead. Some to everlasting life and others to an everlasting 
death in effect, an everlasting life of condemnation. So everyone has an appointment with death, but the Christian also has an appointment with a resurrection to everlasting life. And baptism symbolizes that connection in Christ. Since He was raised, He was the first fruits of those who are dead, and we also will be raised. Now, I've had to hurry on through this. Um, I hope that it's understandable. I hope that it's clear. Uh, If you've never encountered this kind of teaching on baptism and like to know more, I'd love to talk with you about it. After the service or some other time, we can set an appointment to do that. Um, I'm going to ask our candidates if they would go and they can get ready to uh, have the baptism service now. Uh, Some of them are going to change to get ready. Um, But if you are here and have not ever come to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, today is a perfect day to do so. You can remember that today, September the 13th, 2020, when some of your friends were baptized, that you came to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Christ Jesus, I have sinned. I have displeased you. My conscience is gnawing at me. I know that I have done wrong. I have not put you first place in my life. You are my God and King. And I acknowledge my sin. And I trust in you. Because you died for me and rose again. All your sins are rolled off on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has paid for all of those. He removes that burden from you. Lightens your eternal load. And allows you to walk with a new joy in your life because you have trusted in Him. I pray that that's the case for each and every person here. Don't go away without considering, at least considering the claim of Christ in your life. And as you observe this baptism, see that there are some people who are taking a stand to say, I am a follower of Christ. No, it's not popular today. Uh, The world doesn't care for this. But God respects, in a sense, these people for standing up and making that public profession of faith. I, in my own life, have a testimony of, well, like this. I was saved when I was a boy, about 11 years old. I wasn't baptized until I was 22. Why? I was fearful. And I didn't understand the importance of baptism. I don't want that to be the case for you all especially you young people here, if you, if you know I am a believer in Jesus Christ, then you think about this and you come to me sometime soon and say, Pastor, I, I want to be baptized. I know I need to be baptized. The Lord wants me to be baptized. I need to make a profession of faith. I was uh, sitting in my, I remember very distinctly, in my office. I was working at the time up on the northeast side of Ann Arbor for the hospital. And I was in uh, inf- information technology and it was uh, probably over Christmas time. The office was dead quiet. I loved it because you could go there and there's nobody there. You could reboot all the computers you want and not mess anybody up, you know, and just no problems at all. So quiet. And I was thinking there, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you don't confess me before men, I will be ashamed to confess you before my Father in heaven. And I said, 
I don't want anything to do with the negative side of that equation. I need to make a confession of the Lord Jesus before the church. I was in the church in Chelsea at the time and uh, through fear and trepidation, I told you before, didn't I, that I didn't like public speaking. I was mortified. What am I doing here? This is crazy. You know, I couldn't do that. But the Lord uh, gave me the grace to be able to squeak out a little word that I'm a believer and I'm a follower of Christ. And uh, so he helped me overcome that fear and the delay and, and all of that. But you know what? Uh, I'm just so glad that I, I did that. My, my conscience was burdened until I did. And I knew that I had to be baptized. Some of you might know that same thing. Don't let fear hold you back. Uh, be bold for Christ. Often our former pastor would say, you know, Christ died for you in a very humiliating and public way. least you could do for him is stand up and say, I'll follow him. He's my Lord. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful thing. So if you're a believer in Jesus, he commands you to be immersed in water in the name of the triune God. After you're saved, to symbolize your connection with him in your new life. The New Testament did not even consider an unbaptized Christian. Do you know that? Such a thought would have been indecent and unheard of. What do you mean you haven't been baptized? You're refusing to be baptized? What does that say about the strength of your faith? Or could I say it this way? What does that say about the reality of your faith? One of the first things that Christ asks you to do as a new believer is to be baptized. Very clearly the case. It's displeasing to God to not be baptized. Far worse than that, of course, is the circumstance of an unbaptized, non-Christian person. The Bible commands all men everywhere to repent of sins and turn to Christ and to love God with all of their hearts. Have you come to recognize that need that you have? That you need Jesus to cleanse you and make you new? I trust that you have today. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we now have a wonderful opportunity to have a baptism. And I pray that you would take these words that we've shared and just uh, tie them up into our hearts. Let us not forget them or overlook them. And we'll give you thanks. We pray now for John and David and Michael and Andy. And we ask that you will bless them. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.